This is the Unstoppable Authors Podcast with world-building warrior Angeline Trevina, planning and productivity powerhouse Holly Line, and formatting fireball Julia Scott. Every week we bring you discussions on the craft of writing, author life and business, and interviews with some of the industry's most unstoppable authors. A writer's life doesn't have to be solitary. We're here to bust that myth, support you on your journey, and encourage you to be unstoppable. Hello and welcome to episode 118 of the Unstoppable Authors Podcast. I'm your host, Holly Line, and today I'm talking with dark crime and horror writer Julie Heiner. It's a fantastic interview. We talked about how to tap into what's really scary, just how explicit to make gore and violence, and what it was like creating a horror anthology. Now, I don't have much of an update since last week, really. I'm sort of gearing myself up to start writing again now that life is settling back to something like normal. Um, I'm not participating in NaNoWriMo this year, but I have set myself a writing goal for November, something I haven't done for a few months, and we'll see how that turns out. Uh, But I'm not sharing what that goal is publicly. I'm not quite ready to be that accountable yet. Now, I am doing something on the business side of things I haven't done for a long time and have been quite vocal about in the past, and that's cleaning my mailing list. Now, I used to do this with some regularity. I had a welcome sequence that did it automatically, in fact, by unsubscribing the people who got to the end of the sequence without opening or clicking any of the emails in the sequence. But upon surveying my readers, I discovered that a number of them were reading every email and loved my content, even though the reporting showed that they never opened a single email. This put me off removing subs and made me not trust open rate reporting at all. So I completely stopped cleaning my list and told people that they shouldn't clean their lists either because of this issue. But I can't deny that my stats all around for my list have dwindled away to numbers that I'm not happy with. With all of the talk in the community about Apple's new policy of automatically reporting an email as having been opened, there are very loud voices in the community talking about how we're going to clean our lists now. While I still believe that open rate reporting was always unreliable and so nothing much has changed, it has prompted me to look at my subscribers and wonder if I could be doing something differently. So I'm experimenting. I'm sending an email the day this episode airs, actually, to everyone who doesn't click on any of my emails that I send. I've given them a button to hit to say they still want my emails, and if they don't click it within a week, I'm going to let them go. Now, this email is going out to around 1,500 people. Gulp. Um, But yeah, I will report back with the results in a couple of weeks. If you don't know what I'm referring to with Apple, then you can listen to Angeline and I talking about that, along with other things, in episode 102 from back in July. Right then, our question of the week. Last week we asked you to share some urban legends from your hometown. On our Facebook group, Nathan told us... There was a statue of an angel in the graveyard. The route to school and back was through the graveyard. It was said that if you ran around the statue three times, the eyes would glow red and you'd die. As I was walking through with a group of friends, we decided to try the theory out. Everyone was nervous. As I made my way around it a second time, I tripped on a vine or a log and fell over. Needless to say, everyone crapped themselves. 
I don't, I don't blame you. Um, that does sound really scary. <laughs> Over on Instagram, Leah Copeland said, I live super close to where the Bunnyman legend started. That's cool. And A.E. Kincaid said, I'm not exactly sure if this qualifies. It's not spooky. But when I was a kid, I lived in a village called Brookman's Park in Hertfordshire. There's a street there called Moffat's Lane. And they say that Little Miss Muffet is that same Muffet. So that's pretty cool to have grown up at the origin place of a, you know, well-known nursery rhyme. That's pretty awesome. Okay, this week, I want to know if you have ever submitted a story to an anthology and what the experience was like. No new patrons this week, but a huge thank you to all of our current patrons. We really do appreciate the support. Patrons get early access to episodes, exclusive behind-the-scenes access to our off-air banter, as well as the warm, fuzzy feeling of supporting the podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so for just £3 a month at patreon.com forward slash unstoppableauthors. You can also follow us for free and get the public updates that we share there. It would be really great if you could take a moment to share this episode on social media, grab a screenshot, share it directly from your podcast platform, or even take a selfie as you listen to it. Just remember to tag us so that we can share it too. It means so much to hear from our listeners and to know that you enjoy the show. And now, on to the interview with the one and only Julie Heiner. My special guest this week is Julie Heiner. She's an author, storyteller, and blogger. She has independently published an inspirational work of nonfiction and two dark crime novels. Several of Julie's short horror stories have been published and she's collaboratively released a horror anthology. Julie's home base is killersanddemons.com where she serves up toxic cocktails of 80s metal, ritualistic murder, and raw horror. Julie lives in her hometown in Canada, nestled near the Rocky Mountains. A hardcore 80s rocker at heart, Julie's writing is infused with music of all eras. Her dark crime novels are a fusion of 80s metal, 70s acid rock and dark storytelling. Obsessed with the dark mind of the serial killer, Julie's characters are based on bits and pieces of some of the most terrifying monsters to roam the earth. Welcome to Unstoppable Authors, Julie. Well, thanks for having me. I'm really excited that you reached out. This is really cool to be here. Really cool to be here. Awesome. So we're still sort of immersed in Halloween because we're right Mm -hmm. in the run-up to it now. And um, obviously Angeline and I, last week, we recorded a a horror-themed podcast, but I'm not ready to let go of Halloween yet. So I was like, "Mm, let's get a horror author on and ask some juicy questions. (laughs) Yeah, I love Halloween. It's so much fun. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so do you want to um, start things off by telling me a bit about your writing journey so far? Um, yeah, actually, so I took computer science in university, and I worked on big systems for over a decade and really had no idea I'd end up writing anything. Uh, but looking back uh, in my childhood, I basically lost myself in books all the time, found that when I entered the professional world, I didn't have the time or energy and stopped reading. Um, And then what happened is my husband and I did like a um, a very adventurous three-month cycling venture. And 
Uh, long story short, I was not an athletic person growing up. I did have a lot of fear and anxiety. I wasn't adventurous. I wasn't in tune with my physical side. So we built up to this. And next thing you know, it we're on this three-month crazy thing, cycling like massive mountains that belong to the Tour de France. And on that journey, during that three months, we took a break and uh, just rested for a while in Italy on a in a villa and it was wonderful and I just this book came to me that you know uh cycling and finding my physical being the part of me that I was so nervous about and just had no confidence about I just thought if I can share my journey and one person reads this and one person does something they don't think they can do that would be great and so that turned into a book that was kind of a several year process because I was still working in computer science and doing contracts but I carved out time and eventually self-published that book. And I do donate, uh, if not all, most of the proceeds. I do try to scrape back a little bit of the cost, but I donated some of my own money and then I donate the proceeds uh, to a, it's actually called World uh, Bicycling Relief. And they give bikes to people all over the world that uh, it enables them to get to their jobs, to their healthcare. It, like it changes worlds for people. Mm. So that's really what started my writing journey. And then um, I had gone back to contracting and at a certain point in my life had taken a break and just had this desire to see if I could write a novel. And apparently I did. And I just haven't looked back. I've been doing this for a few years now. And I feel like it's a lot of work to get going. And I really wouldn't want to stop now after I'm starting to get some traction so I'm on a path to keep writing now for sure awesome it's really unusual I I found to um for a writer to start with non-fiction and then write fiction um just I think that's absolutely fascinating what what do you think was the sort of the switch that that made you think oh I yeah I, I could write fiction well, I didn't really know if I could. I guess for me, um, because of all the cycling we'd done and all the things that I had done that I literally did not believe I could do, I guess I became a person that thinks, well, if you don't try, you're not going to know if you can do this. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, unless something really out of your control happens, I do believe that you are the deciding factor in doing something that you choose to do. You either choose to finish it or you choose not to finish it. Mm -hmm. And so I guess for me, because I just wanted to know if I could write a novel and I had an opportunity to take a break from contracting and treat it like a full-time job and actually create a schedule and, and work on it almost every day and do all the things I needed to do to get that done. I just decided, okay, I've been, this has been on my mind for a while. I'm just going to try. And the reality is like, you know, I've most of my life, I've just read so much fiction and nonfiction. And I love books. I love stories. I love movies. I love shows. I love getting lost in a really good story. And so I kind of thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if I could give back stories that people can lose themselves in? So I guess I didn't know if I could do it, but I wanted to see if I could do it. And I, I thought, well, if I don't choose to try and to see where this goes, I'll never know. And so I pulled the plug and just threw myself in. That's amazing. Love it. 
And what is it that draws you to the darker side of fiction? You know, I, it's a really good question because my, my inspirational book is like happy and yes, and you can. And then all of my fiction is very serial killer inspired, whether it be the crime novels or the horror novels. And I don't know, like I've actually been really fascinated with the serial killer mind for a very long time. I just crush true crime shows and books and And I guess I just, I knew that like, this is kind of my favorite thing to watch. If my husband's out and I can watch whatever I want, it's always going to be murder and it's probably going to be serial killer. And so I was crushing a lot of that stuff. And I guess I decided like, if this is my favorite genre to read, why not try and write this? And then I think the icing on the cake, um, I started going to a local writing conference uh, when I had finished writing the, the nonfiction book, had it there, had it edited. I had no idea how to like put a book together and mm-hmm. put into the world. And I found this local writing conference, went to that, learned everything I needed to know. So I just keep, I've been going to that conference every year because it's all volunteer driven. It's very affordable. And there's just so many things you can learn. And I happened to go this one summer and I was on the brink of deciding, should I try to write a novel or not? And I went to this two hour session and I'm so excited even thinking about it now. It was a local homicide detective and he's actually one of the two lead homicide detectives in my city. And he was giving this two hour presentation on how they conduct homicide investigations. So I went to this, I thought, oh my God, this is amazing. And I talked to him afterwards. Little did I know that a few months later I would reach out to him. He did remember me and I've actually been interviewing him for years now. And so that was kind of the icing on the cake that, well, I've got this expert I can interview one-on-one mm-hmm. and learn how things are done here in my city. Why wouldn't I just write this book that I absolutely just at this point really wanted to write? So it's very, very uh, bonafide serial killer, which is, I mean, how else do you describe like the Ted Bundy kind of guy, the Paul mm-hmm. Bernardo kind of guy, the Robert Picton kind of guy. And then it's very, very through the eyes of an actual local homicide detective so I just didn't look back after that for sure Mm -hmm. oh that's cool okay so um and you've talked about interviewing a a detective which is a brilliant thing to do what other techniques do you think are essential for writing in crime or horror well yeah it's a great question and some of these are are valid for any genre but so I'm at a point where yes I had a computer science background Um, I did have things from my career like writing massive hundred page documents and having people review it and have to get their approval and there were a lot of things I had done that I was able to apply but when I first sat down to start writing, so I can ask this guy anything I want and I can learn how is a homicide investigation actually done here in my city. I can research a million serial killers, which I have built a model where I've researched a lot of real serial killers and and identified the elements so that I could create a serial killer. Great, so I've done all this research, but when I sat down to like write, I mean, if you've never written fiction, so who are you writing? Where are they? What are they doing? What would they say? Why would they say it? Like, I had no idea how to do this. So 
what I did was I looked for, there's so many resources nowadays. And one of the things I did was I continued to go to the writing conference I mentioned because they had tons of sessions on how to write all kinds of fiction. So leverage your local resources. Um, there's also a local society here, like a, a writing center that runs all year round and they have fantastic classes. So I chose classes there that were relevant to like developing character, developing storyline. Like I knew nothing about that, but then of course there's tons of online resources and there's books and there's articles. So really uh, a combination of looking at what's out there and learning also asking people I knew that were experienced this, you know, do you have certain resources that are, you know, you would more recommend than others. Yeah. Uh, so I think I went through a period of, I had done so much research, but I needed to learn how to write. And then I think one more thing I'll say is uh, getting feedback. So I wrote some scenes, but honestly, it's, it's really interesting to me that I could read any book and tell you what I think is good or bad about it. But when it comes to your own writing, you're too close to it. I had no idea if what I'd written was any good at all. And so again, I reached out the the local center that I'm part of here. They do manuscript reviews. So you can submit a small piece and have someone experienced give you really in-person, honest feedback. So very early on when I'd written certain chapters, that's what I did. And I went through that process multiple times with different people to get different perspectives on what's working here and what's not working here. And I listened to them and I pretty much did everything that they suggested unless, you know, it didn't make sense or I didn't agree with it, but pretty much those kind of people, you, you know, they're giving good feedback. Mm -hmm. So I did all these things uh, early on and uh, yeah, took that quite seriously because I, I mean, I, I, I think writing a fiction book is hard and I think no matter how many times you've done it, you can always learn more. And I had no idea how to do any of that stuff. So I learned, I put myself into it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're obviously fascinated with serial killers. Are you, well, what's the effect of that fascination? Do they scare you or do you find that researching them kind of demystifies them and takes the, the edge out of what they've done? Uh, yeah, no, I think the more I research, the scarier it is. So I guess, um, you know, some people like to watch romance movies, some people like to uh, comedies, some people, everybody, whether you're whatever you're reading or watching, there's something you want to feel. And I can't explain why, but I like to feel scared. And I think it's because for me, you know, pretty much in my life, I don't feel scared. So it's like this safe area where you're reading or watching something to feel scared. And honestly, of all the things I've read or watched, serial killers scare me, scare me the most because these people, like some of the stuff that these men and women have done in real life is absolutely terrifying. And it has happened throughout history. It continues to happen today. Um, one of my favorite all-time books and shows is Mindhunter based on the real life of John Douglas, who was one of the creators of criminal profiling. And when you watch the Netflix series of his life, they emulate the interviews he did with real serial killers in the 70s and 80s. And just watching how these men and women behave when they're interviewed, there's something about, like I call them a different breed because there's something about the kind of person that is just 
absolutely terrifying to me. And so it's just, to me, it's one of the scariest, scariest things. And the more I research, I don't, it doesn't take the edge off because when you really dig in, there's some terrible stuff Mm -hmm. that has happened out there. It's really scary. (laughs) Yeah. I, for my current book, I was researching um, female cult leaders and um, that, you know, there's, there's this story of this one group in Mexico I think and they were um, kidnapping children and doing awful rituals and stuff and oh it makes my stomach turn it was just horrifying you think that's not fiction that happened that's real yeah I think that's why it is so scary to me because it it happened Mm. and I it still does happen yeah yeah Okay, so what are your favorite horror tropes? Which which ones really get your heart going? Um, well, and I'll kind of blur the crime and horror because the kind mm. of crime I write is like Hannibal Lecter style. Yeah. So it's not really like murder mystery. It's kind of horror. But um, I do honestly love the old school detective. And I know that's more a bit of crime. But, you know, the more I read and watch and the more I look around at what's going on people like that they really Mm. like that um and when it comes to uh the monster itself whether it be a crime or a horror uh genre um i guess you know people need to die like if you're somebody who's watching a horror movie or reading a dark crime novel and nobody's died and it's halfway through well you're missing the mark people watch and read this because they want to see blood they want to see death when there's a group of friends and they go into the haunted house they expect that maybe one of them will come out at the end Mm -hmm. and i know it's cliche and done over and over but that's people want to see the blood they want to see the death that's why they're watching because they're scared they're fascinated with it whatever it is it's a safe area for them to read and watch this stuff so i guess lots of murder lots of death lots of blood there might be someone left in the end Um, And another one I'll say is things don't end up okay. So the kind of dark crime I read and watch and same with the horror, things aren't okay in the end. I mean, sometimes they catch the guy, sometimes uh, they don't. Uh, But even if they do, there's often inklings that like there's someone else out there that had helped him or he, he gets away or like even when things sort of end okay, they're still not really okay. There's always inklings, you know, like even mm-hmm. if you look at these horror movies that have one, two, three, four, there's always something at the end that insinuates that the guy isn't dead or that he might've got away or that this is going to happen again. And, mm-hmm. you know, people watching and reading this, they love that. They don't want to feel good and happy they want to be unsettled when they walk away right Mm. so I love that I absolutely love that yeah 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 I love that I love sort of I always describe them as bittersweet endings I like you know I like it generally when the good guys win but you know one of the heroes should die as well you know and like there should be some big emotional impact at the end (laughs) yeah there should be you want the emotional impact for sure and yeah. question marks I like those yeah. as well yeah yeah so when it comes to the level of explicit gore or violence how how far do you like to take it I go far and I think for what I'm reading and watching at first I was kind of worried about that um but 
I would just, I would consume things that are in my specific subgenre, and it would validate for me that, no, these are really visual stories, whether they be books or movies or whatever. And there's a reason that I like to watch that stuff because it's so vivid, it's so visual, and it it is horrifying, and it fascinates me. So if that's who I'm writing for is someone like me, then you need to have that. Now, there have been a few times where uh, I have gone too far, but I have a, a very appropriate editor for this mm-hmm. content. Mm-hmm. And I often, when I go back and reread and I'm working on things, my gut will tell me, yeah, that's a little too far. And if I'm not sure, I rely on her. I might ask for other opinions from other people too. And they'll they'll give me that feedback that, yeah, take that out, but leave this in. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't hold back, but I do check I, I have those checks in place before I release something that it is uh enough but not too much because like if you think about silence of the lambs I mean that killer who was skinning those women I mean he's actually based on two or three real serial killers and there there is a guy named Ed Gein that was skinning people and making all kinds of things out of these skins now in the movie they don't show him physically skinning the person right but people watching it know that that's what's happening so that's I think where it is you just have to understand uh, where that line is between showing too much but still don't show too much but enough that people will be scared yeah um it's I wish I could remember which of the films it is now it's like um is it a prequel where um Hannibal hang draws and quarters a guy and like chucks him off a balcony and it's all in like silhouette but you see his guts fall out basically and you hear the splat on the floor and it's right. it's yeah you know pretty graphic and yet yeah so well shot that it's not explicitly graphic and you kind of yeah. your imagination fills in the rest you know yeah and it's really hard to know you know like um I guess if you're like so if you're not sure get some opinions um mm. but I wouldn't hold back when you're writing the story to begin with when you're in the drafting stage in the first because you'll ex- you'll explore and eventually you'll figure out uh, but then there, you know, there are genres of horror that are really graphic. Like if you look at the Rob Zombie movies, mm-hmm. do you think he ever holds back? I don't think so. But I love those movies and a lot of people apparently do. So, I mean, I guess as long, I think actually I know the, I know what to say here is the important thing is to make it really clear what you are offering. So like I make it really clear what the book is about, especially when I'm looking for early readers or beta readers and make it clear if there's children, I make it clear that there's murder. I make it clear. Like I just give them a really clear idea because there are people that want that. And there's people that don't want that. And as long as I think you're very clear about what you're selling, I think that's the important thing. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, um, do you include trigger warnings? And, and if so, where, like in your blurb or in like the front of the book, where do you put those? Yeah, you know what? I don't have, uh, I, that's a really good point. I was recently had a story published in an anthology um, about serial killers and slashers, which was perfect. Mm-hmm. And he did a great job at the, he did actually have a page that specifically called out stories and trigger warnings. I've never done that. 
Um, but what I do, and maybe I should do that. What I do though, is in the blurb, I make it really clear. Uh, like, especially if there's children. So mm-hmm. book two in my crime series, I make it clear that there's skeletal remains that it appears to be young children and I, things like that. So if people mm-hmm. read the, the, two paragraphs on the back of the book. There's nothing graphic there, but it's really clear that this is what you're getting. And I kind of modeled that after like, um, there was a show on Netflix for a while called The Alienist. And it was kind of like in old times, Jack Ripper style, and the bodies were young boys, but they made it really clear in the description of the show, this is what you're getting. And then when I turned it on, I'm like, oh, wow, this is really graphic. But I knew before I turned it on. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got it from looking at other books and uh, shows that I need to be really clear. I didn't really know about specifically putting trigger warnings in a book until I saw that in this anthology. And maybe that is something uh, that I could put in the front. Uh, but I do think if you're really clear on the packaging, then people do know before they even open it what they're getting into. Yeah, I do think, because I get into discussions with other authors about trigger warnings because I have mixed feelings about them. Um, And I think with horror, it's a genre that, you know, I I think, and this is just my opinion, shouldn't need trigger warnings. Like horror is horror, you know? If If you're drawn to the cover and you read the description, and like you said, it's nice and clear, you know what's going to be in there. Trigger warnings as well might be excessive. <laughs> yeah, I, I do agree with you. If, you've, if you're really clear about what's in there mm. on the description. And if people are picking up horror to begin with, mm. um, probably if they don't like blood, if they don't <laughs> like death, they're probably like, they're not going to go to the horror section. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I do agree with you. It is pretty, I think horror as even just the word, it's pretty clear. Right. Yeah. And I do. So I classify my dark crime as both serial killer, uh, noir and horror. Cause you can put multiple. And the reason I do that is because when I looked at things like red dragon and silence lambs and which are comps for me, according to other people, that he that's what they do they they put it in both the psychological and the crime side but they also put it in the horror side and some people read it and they go well I didn't think that was horror um but uh I the reason I do that is because it's really clear then this is very bloody this is very dark this is very Hannibal like mm-hmm. and then people that aren't sure will be they'll know oh this borders on horror horror maybe this isn't my thing because the last thing I want is somebody who doesn't like that to end up reading it that's terrible right yeah it's terrible yeah I mean there are some genres where you get the wrong reader and the worst thing that'll happen is they're mildly annoyed you know they pick up something thinking it's a billionaire romance and it's actually a cowboy romance or something and they're like oh this isn't quite what I wanted but horror Yeah, you can actually really deeply upset people. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and when it's like murder and you're really clear, this is a serial killer. There's like, if you look at Criminal Minds or if you look at like even CSI Miami, even though that's a little lighter, you know, right away, there's going to be like five murders in this show. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you look at if you if you go onto Amazon and look at any if you just Google or sorry, if you just type in serial killer all of those books are going to have multiple murders in them. So that's pretty clear, I think, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you'd like to think anyway. Yeah. 
So what's your favorite scary book and why? Scary book. Oh, it's so hard to just pick one. But if I have to pick like one book out of all time, um, I probably, this can sound funny, but I have to pick Jaws, the original Mm -hmm. Jaws. Mm -hmm. And I guess like why is because to me, real horror is actually like emotional, raw human fear. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the stories that sure it's about a shark and they they make it a little ridiculous fine but if you read the book or the script or watch the film because they're all have it's very sure they change things but they're similar components Mm -hmm. it's honestly about the raw emotion what the people are afraid of who wouldn't be afraid of their child getting killed Mm -hmm. right and living near water okay um deep underwater that to me is one of the scariest things and then tapping into the raw human emotion so my child could go out swimming and he could get killed by the shark Mm -hmm. but I have forever been so afraid of deep water because we don't really know we don't know what's down there work that people are continuously finding things the further they go down that we probably shouldn't even know about (laughs) so I actually find yeah like deep sea um, one of the scariest things. And I just think it did that story did such a brilliant job of, of capturing that raw emotion that people feel when they're afraid. Mm. It's just so well done. Yeah, absolutely. I love how sort of really um, deep sea life looks so alien. It doesn't look like it belongs on our world. And I think that's yeah disturbing and fascinating. <laughs> it is disturbing. Like there's like, what are the eight or 10 feet squids that they found? Like, <laughs> that's good. Or when you get so far down that like these things have lights and stuff so they yeah. can navigate like. <laughs> yeah. Like angler fish that have yeah. that light yeah. that attracts prey to them. And yeah, yeah. yeah. And some of them like the mouths and the teeth and just you're like, you're a fish. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and to be in complete darkness like that, I mean, that's just that's terrifying. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Who knows what else they'll find? You know, my nine-year-old is sort of hoping that they'll find like, you know, Megalodon, you know, <laughs> somewhere still alive. <laughs> they might, right? You just never know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk about the Omens Call anthology that you did with Danny Wilcox. So what was the process like for for that? How did you get involved? And well, it was I I laugh because I'm so grateful that that happened. Like um, when I started writing and uh, doing what I do is networking locally to meet people in my writing community I started to find people that write the weird and the dark like I do and so I've made new friends over the last few years and I have uh, a couple of friends in particular they've started their own publishing company they've been writing for a long time and they collaborate so they they'll do entire anthologies where all the stories are written by one of them or they write a story together and I guess I saw how like I've read their individual stuff and then I've read the stuff they did together. Mm-hmm. And I thought, is that ever fascinating how the best of the two come out in this collaboration? And also I just saw how much fun they were having because the first 
year or two when I was writing that first novel. I mean, I was kind of in my office alone, sticking to my schedule, doing my research, and it was really lonely and hard. And so I saw how much fun they were having and what a creative, they tapped into this joint creativity and thought, I really want to find someone to collaborate with. And so I think because in my mind, I thought, I'll get to that. I need to get a few books in and then I'll eventually find somebody. But you, I put these intentions out and don't even realize I am taking steps toward it. So what happened is a local writer, uh, I, I found Satcha Black through her. Um, she's Angela Ackerman. She writes all the thesauruses. Mm-hmm. And I've met her because she lives here. And so she was in this group with Satcha. And I kept seeing her advertising Satcha's stuff. And so I started following her because of course she's fantastic. She shares all her experience in her groups and she helps people. And so I started going into her groups. And then one day she did a live session with Daniel and just the description of what Daniel does. I thought, Ooh, that guy looks interesting. So I went to the live session and then I read some of his books and like, I started with twisted, which, Oh my God, it's amazing. And I thought this guy's such a good writer. So basically I'm his reader and I just love what he does. And when he was writing his big, when winter comes, which he's just released the full mm-hmm. uh, shebang, I was in his Patreon group and I was reading it as he was putting it out. And I was making comments cause you're allowed to make comments. And I just thought this is great. So um, at some point he asked me if I'd be willing to volunteer and help do some reading for some stuff. And I'm like, yeah, this would be great experience and uh, loved it and then I guess because we sort of tested the waters with each other when he approached me to do the omens call I thought oh my god I'd love to do this and he I just had a feeling because he's very professional he meets his deadlines uh, but he's a person too right so if Mm. something really goes wrong he talks it out and he knows how to collaborate he knows how to work with people he knows that we're all human beings and so I was just so impressed with him on so many levels and so excited that he saw something in my reading ability uh, to do this. Mm. So just went in and um, the whole process was amazing because we actually had like a process set up and a reader group set up and we were very organized and very prepared. And that enabled us to just have so much fun falling in love with these stories. And I'll tell you, after having some of my own stories accepted by people I don't know and published, it felt really, really good to enable a number of authors to have their stories put out into the world. And I loved everyone. I still love every one of those stories. So the whole thing was kind of serendipitous, but I do believe if there's something you want to work towards putting out that intention and taking small steps and before you know it, it, it will happen for you. So yeah, great experience. Great experience. Yeah. And it's a really good anthology too. That's awesome. It's it's on my TBR. <laughs> I know we all have such big reading lists. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I obviously I love Dan. I've worked with him on the Great Writer Share, and um, yeah, we've been friends for quite a while. And he's a friend of the show. He's he's been on this podcast three times, four yeah. times, three three four times, many times. Um, yeah, and. Yeah, that's it. That sounds awesome, and what what a um, a, I don't know, a confidence boost, I guess, to to be asked to collaborate like that. Oh, definitely, especially because I admired his writing so much. So definitely, big confidence boost. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, yeah. So um, oh, 
I don't know if you'd, you'd be allowed to say, but do you have a favourite story from that anthology? Um, yeah, I do love them all. Uh, one of the ones that really sticks in my mind is called Morton, Co- Morton Cottage. And it's, it's about this little co- cottage and this couple goes to stay there. And um, there's a cemetery across the street and there's a cat and then there's more cats and then there's this herd of cats. I don't want to ruin it, but it was just such a very, again, I think it tapped into my human emotion. I've never been so afraid of a herd of cats in my life. So that one really sticks. But like, again, I love them all. It's just, I do think certain things pull, you know, the, the great thing about having a really, a diverse collection in there is that there's going to be something for everybody because mm-hmm. everybody loves different things right yeah definitely yeah what lessons did you take from that experience um well first of all I can write I can read I can edit you know I mean all these things that I've been working on for years but until someone else who has put out a lot of things and who you admire uh, pulls you in and says, oh, yes, you're good at this and you're good at that. So I want you to do it. And you're like, okay, because I do, I will still have moments. I am not 100% confident. I've come a long ways, but I will have those moments. So definitely that I can do these things I've been striving to do. Uh, it really validated for me how much I love to help other readers, or sorry, other writers, because I've done a ton of like beta reading and putting out reviews and, and helping people when I can. And this was just like, a really great way to help authors get their stories out there. So I really would love to do that again. Um, and I think it validated for me that I do like this um, collaboration thing and I'd love to continue to do it. Um, and you know what? It Like I did learn my stories are up there and they are good because when I go back and read my story that's in that, in the Omens Call, I realize, yeah, this is it's on par with all these other ones that we loved so much. So hmm. I learned a lot about myself, I think in the mm-hmm. process for sure. Yeah. yeah. The, the actual process, like putting the book together and the reading group and like there was, I, I did so much process in my professional career that like, uh, I didn't learn too much from that other than having a solid plan going in when you're putting together an anthology is really important because if you have hundreds of submissions, you need to be prepared to deal with all of those. <laughs> and that could be really overwhelming for sure. Yeah. Did you have other people helping to read the submissions to narrow them down? Yeah, we did. We had um, about 10, I want to say people, and we had a really clear process. So we had like a spreadsheet with the criteria and descriptions of the criteria and how to rate things. So it made it uh, as uh, it was a fairly repeatable process that was going to be fairly consistent across the stories. And so we had all that set up ahead of time. And I would highly recommend that um, if you're going in to do something like that because reading um hundreds of stories on your own I just think it's really really hard and um you know it can be exhausting and then you're not really doing a good job of it anymore Mm. and honestly when you're checking things like is this on theme it could be a fantastic story but if it's not even close to the theme then it's unfortunately you know anthologies tend to have a very clear theme to them and if people read it and they're not scared at all well 
you know, it's supposed to be scary. So there are some things that are pretty easy to uh, have in a set of criteria and have people look at. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the end, you know, Dan and I did go through all the sort of uh, top 30 to 40 and then narrow it down from there. I mean, of course, I had read, oh, probably 50 of them and he had read I don't know, probably the same amount. So we had our eyes on a lot of them and we did have a pretty consistent process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So do you have any final top tips for other writers who want to scare readers? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I think it's really important to consume. So what scares you what are you, what, you know, what do you, what kind of horror are you trying to write? So I'll go back to my crime, but like, I'm not writing a cozy mystery. Um, there needs to be four or five murder scenes. They need to be really graphic and they, they need to elicit fear in somebody that a person could actually commit a murder like this. So I think the first tip is to consume, read, watch, take notes. Um, if I'm trying to write something like Mindhunter and really convey a very s- scary serial killer, watch, I watched that several times and I took notes about, I would pause and think, I'm scared right now. Why am I scared? What is this character doing? What's their body language? What are they saying? Why am I scared right now? Um, take classes. So one of my favorite resources is the One Stop for Writers or the Thesauruses by Angela Ackerman. And I use the online One Stop for Writers because it's a great area to really dig in deep to your character. So regardless of genre, you really need to know who you're writing. What would they say? How would they say it? How do they behave? You need to feel like you're that person. And I write uh, equal point of view of detective and serial killer. And yeah, I do feel like I'm in that serial killer mind because I've studied so many of them. I know I have a certain understanding of what they would or wouldn't do and why. So really, really get to know those characters. And I mean, when it comes to horror, like I said, regardless of the subgenre genre, uh, sub-genre horror that you're in, it comes down to fear. So eliciting that raw human emotion you need to learn how to write that emotion on the page and think about all the things in that story that could be a character think about these really good horror books or films that the house is the house itself is a character or the storm is a character the setting is really dark so tap into using the things that scare people whether it be a house or a person or a storm or use those things and um you know, work on how you can really elicit that fear on the page. And other than consuming resources and taking classes and practice, practice, practice and getting feedback, I think with any craft, that's how you become better. Don't be afraid of feedback and don't, yeah, that'll be my final tip because I'm going on and on here. But with the uh, feedback, just even if your, your emotions go through you as you're listening to the feedback, just take it in. Take some time to ponder it before you make any decisions, but try to separate the emotion from what they're saying, because they could be making some really good points. And it's really natural for us to kind of cringe when somebody says something, giving us criticism, but take time to ponder it. Take it very seriously. Yeah, that's really good advice. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So every week we ask a would you rather question and Hmm. I've chosen 
um one especially for you <laughs> would this you rather <laughs> would you rather be lost in the woods with a killer on the loose or locked in a haunted insane asylum oh, i'd rather be in the woods with a serial killer mm-hmm. um and i'll tell you why because uh i've spent a lot of time in the wilderness and learned a lot of things about being in the wilderness and i've studied serial killers so carefully now i'm not saying i would survive but i think my chances would be more increased because of my experience in an insane asylum i equate that with that's where there could be some haunted supernatural stuff that is beyond my comprehension and I mean, when you're locked in a house like that, no one gets out alive. They just don't, no matter what. There's no logic you can use to fight a supernatural force. Mm. So I would pick the woods. And it's funny because, like, I love being in nature, but I also love watching horror movies in nature, in the woods. It's terrible. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Lovely. Thank you. So... Can you let our listeners know where they can find out more about you and your books? Yes. Uh, Everything is on killersanddemons.com. I do have a Facebook page and Instagram and all that, but everything is hooked up to my website. And um, I do have my first horror novella coming out this Thursday. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually running like a live stream and uh, kind of a Zoom room mingle afterwards. It's a full Halloween party. Now it is Calgary time. So I know not everybody would be able to tune in, Um, but all the information about Owen's Terrarium, who's coming out on Thursday is there. And that's where you can find everything about all the books that I've been involved in, even the anthologies that I've had stories in. So killersanddemons.com, that's the place to be. Awesome, lovely. Thank you so much, Julie. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Thank you very much. It's been great. Thanks so much. A huge thank you to Julie for donating her time. I really hope you enjoyed the interview. Uh, It was a blast recording. So just a reminder of our question of the week. Have you ever submitted a story to an anthology and what was the experience like? And remember that if you want to hear all the backstage stuff and get all of the other benefits, you can join us over at patreon.com forward slash unstoppable authors. And please don't forget to share the podcast online. You can tag us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Unstoppable Authors. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Unstoppable Authors podcast. We'll be back next week with more of our tenacity and worldly wisdom. Don't forget to visit our website to get the show notes and heaps of helpful blog articles at unstoppableauthors.com. And join our guild of unstoppable authors and you will not only hear from us every week, but you will also get a free digital copy of my book, 30 Days of World Building. If you enjoyed the episode, please remember to subscribe and leave a review.